0: how you doing guys we're back after many many months absence but we're gonna hit the ground running as you know i like to keep the intros down to a minimum on the line with me is my great friend marty lochran the sports physio uh based up there north for all you guys in dublin listen to this <laughs> and uh, i'm gonna go straight into it uh marty how are you doing it's took us a good while to get you on the the podcast but you were busy uh, and we'll go into that later on but uh how are you? How are you getting on? First off, good,
1: Dave. Uh, thanks for for having me on. It has been quite a while to get this time nailed down and get get chatting to you. It's been yeah, yeah. crazy. I've been planning this for maybe
0: twelve months at this stage. <laughs> ah, sure. Listen, it's we're we're both as bad as each other, as you know. Um, really? How we'll go into it in more detail, but uh, how's the suntan after Rio?
1: <laughs> I'm still pale as a ghost. <laughs> I've done a week beach, in Mexico so. since as well and still still the colours are covered. Yeah, the ginger complexion just doesn't
0: brilliant. Doesn't. Brilliant, brilliant. Okay, we'll go straight into it because the culture of our podcast is we you know we like to keep the intros and fillers to a minimum and just get the meat. and um, because people commuting to their coaching jobs or their physio jobs can get the information straight away. So basically, um how, why and how did you get into the industry? Just give us a bit of your background. Like I know you very, very well, but just to give you a little bit of a background to the listeners there, if you could.
1: Okay, so I'm a sports physio. I, I graduated in physiotherapy in 2004 now. I, I studied over in England. I studied at, at Huddersfield, lived in Yorkshire and loved it for, for five years, worked over there in the NHS during the day and worked for Huddersfield Town in, in the evening and on the weekends and got great experience mm-hmm. and uh, after a couple of years then decided to come home and worked in private practice for a while and then eventually moved to the sports institute in, in Belfast just based at Jordanstown and I've been there for the last eight years and I just, just left last month yeah. so it's a big big transition period for me now after after being there for so long
0: yeah and for those of you who don't know that was that's based in Georgetown, Marty, isn't
1: it? Yeah, so it's, it's the, the equivalent of the Aries Institute uh, uh, down at, at Abbottstown in, in Dublin. For, yeah. for uh, any listeners in Dublin, it's it's a you know a specially designed facility looking after all our, our chartered athletes. So any athletes, you know, high performance athletes looking to go to the Olympic Games or Commonwealth Games and a few other what we call culturally significant sports up here. So JF. Uh, football, rugby, a uh, f- f- few other sports like that. We would work with as well down there. But yeah, it's, it's an exciting place to work. Working with some, some great athletes and, and some great great staff.
0: Yeah, and uh, were you the sports physio on Sinai, or did you do a little bit of everything, or what was your role in 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 that uh, sort of institution? Well,
1: uh, my my particular role at the sportsmanship was a soft tissue physiotherapist. So myself and and, and Paul Nealon and other Tyrone physio, we we got recruited into that, that post. And it's, it was kind of a, a unique post within Irish and UK sport where we specifically only done the soft tissue and manual therapy stuff. So there was us two, and then there was, at that time, three performance or, or sports physios who've done all the rehab and, and injury prevention and performance enhancement work so we kind of worked side by side so i would go in and, and facilitate some movement and then phil or, or chris or, or dave would, would do some performance enhancement work or injury prevention work and it was really nice to, to dovetail like that for, for for a few years and, and it was uh it was yeah. definitely a great experience to helped really develop my hands-on skills as, as a physio
0: yeah and as someone who used to run a physiotherapy practice for many years, a lot of the physios that I would get in would always tell me, "You just can't beat getting bodies in front of you and working and making your mistakes and learning off different injuries." And would that be a fair comment for physios starting off?
1: Uh, definitely. You know, it, it's 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 like any aspect of life. It, it's it's a numbers game, and and the the more you do it, the better you get at it. And I suppose that that's why it, it's. It's really good for physios to start out in the health service if they can for a few years. Uh, you know, you have access to a large volume of, of people there and you do get to to make make mistakes and learn from it from all our people around you. If you're in the right environment in the health centre and you have good uh, senior physios around you, you know, it's an excellent place to, to learn. And, and then when I move from really the NHS to the, to the Sports Institute, you know, you have Phil Glasper there, Chris McNichol, Mike Webb, uh, you know, we have really in physios that are at the top of their game, you know, so yeah. working under those guys and working alongside them for the last few years has, has been brilliant
0: for me. Yeah, and we always used to say, I used to find if I could get a physio to come into Functional Training in Ireland when I had it, and if they had done maybe a year in a normal, I say normal practice, but you know what I mean, or in a hospital or something like that and then worked with a team, even part-time, they would hit the ground running so, so quicker because, like you say there, they just saw so many bodies that they were... They, you, you have to get good, you know? You could not yeah. get good. Um, and then, obviously, then we'd like to think we pushed them in a nice a, another further direction. <laughs> um, that's brilliant. Yeah.
1: Whenever, you, whenever you own your own practice, it's very difficult to recruit straight out of university in a private practice when people are paying... They're hard cash for, for that that service. You need to be able to stand over yeah. and make sure that the quality of the service is, is, is top notch. And it's your reputation that's on the line. Especially, you know, we started out from just myself. I'm a my wife, and, and now we have another two guys working with us. And it's you you know you're constantly aware that you know your reputation goes with with their their treatment. So it's important you get the recruitment right and the the, the training right. But it's also important that you you know what their background is coming in, into you and making sure that they've had that, that volume before because it's, private practice is a scary place for, for a new grad physio. Yeah. There's definitely other places where it's a wee bit easier to learn.
0: Yeah, and I suppose if you start off in a hospital, you have a senior physio looking over your shoulder. and yes. um, And they're not paying it and the customers, if you want it, patients. So it's a different world, but I think... You, I suppose if if you're a physio, you need to do it. I'm talking as if I am a physio, I'm not. But obviously, have talking to you guys so long, I kind of, I kind of uh, feel and it's,
1: you know, for a coach. You know, that's that's come from a big commercial gym. Yeah. You know, for a couple of years. You know, and then you know they've got gone to you know a, a more of a a, a smaller SNC facility or a more high end gym. You know, it's it's the same thing. It's it's just a numbers game. Getting that volume making your mistakes, learning from other people around you and developing yourself as a, as a coach or a physio.
0: Yeah, brilliant. So let's dive into it anyway. So uh, the listeners to this thing, and well, I am fascinated too, because that's how, well, I actually met you when I coached Longford up in Georgetown. I didn't even know I met you, but we did. <laughs> but uh, what I'd be fascinated is chatting to you about um, the teams you've worked with and the standards that either you've set yourself or you've been part of or you've been privy to could you go briefly into some of the teams you've worked with and some of the challenges you've faced I know this is a big question because um, when you work with a team it's nothing but a challenge but anyway um, and also just some of the stuff that you've done that either have uh, reduced injuries or haven't reduced injuries or anything along those lines if you catch catch my drift
1: yeah so uh, I suppose from uh, a GA point point of view, the two big teams that, that I have I've spent most of my career working with are, are Tyrone and and Jordanstown, at the University of Ulster. Yeah, and they uh, when you work, I predominantly work with Tyrone minors. Uh, I worked with them for four seasons, and then last year I spent a season with Under Twenty Ones. And when you're working with those age groups, there, there are lots and lots of, of, of challenges. You know, that are or yeah. well. Uh, publicise, uh, you know, at this point, you know, the amount of fixtures the games the big guys have to play the amount of teams they have to play for, yeah. you know, being in pre-season with one team and mid-season, you know, with another team. You know, it, it there are so many difficulties around that and injury prevention in, in that scenario is very, 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 very difficult. Yeah. Uh, but when we came into... The Tyrone minor setup. I came in with with a, a new head coach as he took over the team in 2011, and Tyrone had just won the All Ireland minor title in 2010. And, and what we realised was that probably underneath the minor level, we had fallen behind the Kildares and the Corks and the Dublins and, and these other teams in, ter- in terms of our, of our development. Yeah. And for a few years, you know, we were kind of on, on the back foot, and and we I I'd like to think you know we really helped develop the whole system and the development of, of the players in terms of strength conditioning and injury, injury prevention. So we had a really high injury rate the first year because we didn't really know uh, the challenges that, that we were going to face in terms of these guys being asked to play club senior on a Sunday, club minor on a Wednesday, play for us on a, on a Saturday, train all week with their club and train all week with us. So we... We try to put, you know, putting guidelines in place so that, you know, the club had them one night a week. They played one game for the club, you know. We had them the rest of, rest of the week. You know, there were times in the year where the club had them and we didn't have them, or we gave them a week off and gave them some recovery time. And there was other times where we took them up to Dubai, our, our training training venue, and we didn't do anything with them. But we brought them up there because we knew that if they went back to the club that week, they would just get slogged <laughs> because all the county players back. Clever. Let's hammer them this week. Yeah. Now that he's back, let's show them how much work that we've done. So there's times when we, we had really had to protect the players as well. And you know, I, I'm making every club sound, sound bad here, but it's not like that. You know, it's, it's, it's always one or two bad eggs. You know, that, that spoil it for everyone. Yeah. You know, we worked. The vast majority of clubs and coaches we worked with were, were, were excellent, but there's always one or two that. That were difficult to, to deal with. But in, in terms of when we actually got the guys in, in the door, looking back now, it was probably a wee bit OTT. And when we went back this year with the Under 21s, I definitely didn't go into it in as much depth. But I wanted to put a really high performance environment around the guys. So the guys would come in, they would weigh themselves when, when they came in, and they that was part of our, our hydration strategy. They would also get a hydration test, and uh, then we would put a hydration, or rehydration protocol in place based on their hydration status. And uh, so they might have to take a aid or you know two hundred mils of water or five hundred mils, whatever it was, based on their on their hydration. But after a few weeks of doing that, the guys were top notch with the, their hydration, and we continued to the test them. But we, probably after two two or three weeks, we didn't need to the test them because they all passed the test every night. They would then go from doing their hydration work to their corrective uh, exercise strategy uh, protocol, so we would screen the guys every six to eight weeks, and based on their needs, they would go and do a hamstring protocol, or a groin protocol, or a lower back protocol, or whatever whatever it was, whatever their needs were, they would go and, and do that, and they would also work on their FMS correctives as well, and then they would go out and train and then whenever they came back in from general we would weigh them again and then they would re- rehydrate and then get their nutrition on board. So I like to think we ticked a, a lot of boxes and if they would go to any other environment anywhere in the world it wouldn't, we wouldn't look out of place with what we were doing with them. Yeah. Now, some people out there are going, saying, you're mad. these are 16, 17, 18 year old kids and you're going way over the, over the top of them, but Majority of the kids enjoyed it. You know, I remember Keir who who's only twenty one cap a few years ago when we won the all Ireland. League, when we got knocked out of the minors he was absolutely devastated because he said, you know, this is like playing for Man United in this environment that he's in, and he was absolutely devastated to, to leave it. You know, so I think hopefully the players benefited and, and the system benefited. Yeah. Probably was a bit OTT, mm-hmm. and it would pull it back away wee bit if it was to do it again. But you know, it was good to, to do it at the time.
0: And would you um, interspersed strength and conditioning work, so for example would you go weigh in, correctives and then into an S&C session and then on football days do football or was this just before the football days?
1: No, so we would have one night where they were doing the gym at, at their own local gym with a, a, an intern looking after them at their own uh, local gym so we would tend to have satellite centres all over the county and they would go and do their S&C work there and then one of our nights we would split it, and the guys would go and do their gym work first, and then go out and hit the pitch after that. So they would get one collective session, and then one uh, individual session, where they would go and, and do that at the at the satellite session, or at their own gym, if, if they yeah. had that available in their club.
0: And would you have had a team of interns so, yeah, we, to help you with that?
1: Yeah, so we we had Brian McHugh, who was our, our head strength and conditioning coach. We had... Connor Gervin, who was in there for, from sports science, so yeah, we, in terms of getting personnel, we, we did have a lot of boxes ticked. This was the pre uh, Peter Donnelly days, you know. Peter Pete's come in now, and he and he's and he's overhauled the whole whole system. He's doing a doing a brilliant job from from top to bottom. But uh, at, at this stage, S and C Tyrone and injury prevention and I think that was. Was very under resourced and it was very frustrating for me, and I, I banged my head off a, a lot of walls around goodbye for for a few years before we eventually got yeah. got Pete on on board. But yeah, we would have had the guys doing S and C from our very first year, so 2011. But before that, there was no S and C for throw miners or under 21s. You know, there's this perception around there that you know sometimes thrower were way ahead of the game, and like you know, and a few of those our cl- our teams were, but. We really weren't, you know, and, and if you believe everything you read, you know, we've been doing this at under fourteen level for twenty years, you know, and it's not the case at all. Yeah. You know, it, it's, we're still finding our, our, our feet with it, and, and the system's still very much in, in its development. But two thousand and eleven was probably when we, we really started it, it off for anything from minors under twenty ones, and even even seniors had had been doing bits and pieces of it, but. Probably wasn't until to Pete came in board where he had every single player doing it every night, you know, which is, which is great. That's where you want to be.
0: It's fantastic, and uh, it's great to hear the feedback of the young players that they actually recognise that that is super professional. But how could they not, you know? And you're not just testing them for testing's sake. You're giving them like live feedback. So if they're simple thing like they're dehydrated, um they're told to go drink some more water or take it to your light. So eventually it seeps into their, con- they just have to turn up the train and hydrate it. Just waste the time if they don't, you know?
1: And I, I done a presentation for Council a few years ago. On it. Uh, so I was a part of the, the team that launched the GA Activate warm up up here in, in the north for yeah. the Ulster Council. And uh, I done a presentation to the Ulster, the Ulster GA coaches on, you know, the. The benefits of doing an injury prevention warm-up and what other injury prevention strategies you could include and we used the throne winners over a three or four year period as a case series and you know it was amazing to see that the the uh, number of injuries per plane or training hours fall dramatically over those four years as we you know the first year we had done. A strength condition and corrective strategy. The second year, we limited their time with the clubs, and we introduced an injury prevention warm up, and then we introduced hydration and nutri- you know and better nutrition. and We introduced something extra every year, and by you know every every time we introduced something, the injury just kept kept falling and falling and falling. You know it was great to have be able to track those numbers over that four year period and, and see that.
0: Um, brilliant. It's a simple thing, and that's actually very clear. To The listeners and I don't uh, go and a little bit off topic, but have you seen those? I think it's Kickstarter with the hydration watch that it'll tell you if you're hydrated or not via a watch. Have you seen them? No, I haven't. I must send you the link. Yeah, I think it's pie in the sky at the moment, it's on the Kickstarter website, but uh, it looked pretty cool. And I was thinking of you as soon as I saw it <laughs> because, um, that would make life a lot easier if you know you could throw a watch on uh, 35 people and. Uh, You know, it saves... Everybody's
1: there doing hydration tests. It's it's not the nicest thing to do in the world. So if there's a
0: watch that does it for you... Yeah, that's the way my brain thinks. Looking for the shortcuts at all stages. Um, Can you talk briefly about... We discussed this on a phone call before about the blood pressure cuff and groin. Um, Can you go into a little bit of that, please, Marty? Or is that top secret if I jump the gun there? No, no, no. Not at
1: all. I suppose it comes out from... Uh, research done in, in in Australia and it's been replicated back in Ireland since. Uh, we would have had the players come through the door. I suppose after they'd get weighed and done their, their hydration work and before they started their proactive work, we would have we, we would have taken their hip range of movement and we would have taken their, uh, an adduction squeeze score using a, a blood pressure cuff, uh, and we would have taken that over the first five, or six weeks of the season to get a baseline on the players. And we would then monitor the players over the course of the season. And if that adduction squeeze score dropped by 10%, then we would pull that, that player from training uh, until that squeeze score recovered. Because it usually gives you about a two-week window uh, of opportunity to, to correct that player before he breaks down with a groin or a hamstring or a lower back problem. but predominantly a hip and groin problem. Yeah. Uh, you know, so we were using that as one of the key cornerstones of our injury prevention program because, at that in our first year, the, the amount of chronic hip and groin injuries we had was was unbelievable. You know, you're probably talking twenty five to thirty percent of the squad with that. Yeah. And in our final year, we didn't we didn't lose any player for a single game for the whole season with a hip and groin problem because yeah. we we had introduced that strategy and we got very good at doing that. And to do that. It, uh, you know, it all sounds very nice to sit down and get the players to do all their squeezes before before training and you track them on a nice Excel sheet but the key to the whole thing is making sure you have a manager who buys into your programme so that when two nights before the all-around final your best player scores low on the on the injury score and the manager pulls them out without you having to say it because he's, he has bought into it like that and I, I was lucky to, to, to work for you know a great coach um, Mickey Donnelly who, who brought us to the All ireland Final and Sally didn't get the didn't get the win. But Mickey really bought into everything that we were doing and, and, and he would leave the whole athletic development, S and C and physio to myself and, and Brian right. and, and Connor. And you know, if we give him any advice or we needed a player pull, he was pulled, you know, and, and even two nights before, before the before the final I just showed him one of our best player scores and Mickey says he doesn't train then I just call him that's it you know and, and you know there's not many managers who, who would do that before before a key game but mickey had, had obviously uh, bought into it
0: yeah no it, it i think it is changing isn't it they, they are buying in more and more to ga coaches because it's becoming just such a a sort of important thing now that they just they have to become mini scholars in snc or whatever word you want to call it themselves so um, I have found since I started my career it's a lot easier to get coaches yeah. to buy into burnout or you know, um, which is great, you know, and, and recovery modalities. Um just on so that, so yeah, you so the the squeeze test and an excel sheet and basically you knew a baseline and if it was below ten percent pull the the athlete because they were at a higher risk, so that's fascinating. And yeah,
1: we would do soft tissue work. Uh, manual therapy, uh, rehabilitation with them for however long it took to get them back up to baseline again. And then again, we would monitor them uh,
0: throughout. And did you ever dabble with RPE scales and workloads and stuff like that? Or, now that's enough. (laughs) It's pretty comprehensive, but did you ever dabble with that?
1: (laughs) We we tried to do it a few times. It was difficult. I think if you have an app I know the, the Irish Institute are using Edge Ten, and they they have an app that the athletes can use, you know, to to do that stuff. And yeah. You know, but I think whenever you're dealing with thirty young lads who have so many teams, it becomes very, very, very difficult. Yeah. And you know w- what we done was we just try to keep, create a very open and honest environment, and if a player. Came, you know, came to the any part of the management team and says, "Look, I'm feeling sore. I'm feeling tired. I had a tough game from the club at the weekend." Then they got the night off. You know, we we pull them, and, and I think the best managers do that. And if you can create an honest environment like that, then you know you don't need to rely on technology as much because you know you have trust in the players, and the players have trust in you.
0: Yeah, that's brilliant. Um, and did. Yeah, the RPE scales, I suppose, you know, they can be tricky to administer. And um, what I love about the approach of the squeeze test and the hydration test and the FMS it is I'm a lover of stuff that is done when the players are standing in front of you. You know, like this sort of thing where they go off. I'm not saying RPE scales isn't like that, but I'm saying I love that sort of management, like a factory line. When they come in, they get tested, they go out and it's it's straight away usable data as opposed to just fitness testing them and then they never see their the retest you know yeah totally so that that's what i think the power of that is it's like why are bodybuilders the way they you know get so bulked up is probably just pure dedication and the science is probably secondary you know it's one of those things to me but that's the way my mad brain works <laughs> um that's fantastic information and you know um we'll post up little stuff so I, I know our friend matt Carr is selling the squeeze kit for cheap enough on his website and um, sports physio supplies that i'll get the right But matt car and tipperary if you google his name he was selling them um, a great friend at efn so straight in you're just basically home from rio um, so you're the head phys one of the physios for the irish olympic team is that correct marty
1: uh, so I'm the lead physio for the Irish triathlon team. Sorry, take a as we two athletes qualify for the Olympic Games, then I was uh, then selected as one of the physios for the the Irish team. But you know, boxing had their own physio, athletics had their own physio. Yeah. So a lot of the sports had their own physio, and then the Olympic team themselves had had three what we call HQ or headquarters physios who looked after everybody else that, that didn't have a have a team physio so I was
0: one of the team physios there at the games cool and like lifetime dream um, for every physio I presume but I presume it's also like anything you know a training camp sounds great when you go to your next to and oh I'm going to Portugal with such a team and then you realise it's absolute full on work uh, what was a typical day in Rio or did you have a bit of beach time to yourself or? Uh, it,
1: we had I suppose we had the biggest ever Irish team there, but we must have had 11, 12 physios, five, five doctors. We had the most athletes there, but we had by far the most medical staff we've ever had. I really? I always felt sorry for some of the athletic uh, the athletic staff because you know they had a, a massive team and even and the hockey guys as well like they had a load of work to get through their medical team, whereas I you know I had two guys who were tapering. For the games and thankfully we had no last minute hiccups or, or injuries yeah. so you know I did have it fairly easy when I was there in, in Rio now if, if you go back to a like, training camp in, in France or Spain and you maybe have 10 guys there you know that's that is hard work and you know it's very very long days and you're away from home and it's not as glamorous as it sounds but yeah. when you got to Rio it, it was a lot easier but There's also a lot of mindset stuff around that. You're dealing with athletes who are in the peak of their career. They're in the most stressful environment that they've ever been in because they're about to compete compete in the Olympics. So you might not need to do a lot of technical work, but there's a lot of non-technical work that you have to do in terms of your communication with them, your communication with coaches, just making sure things are okay but not interfering too much. So it it's still a very difficult stressful place to be even though you're not maybe doing a lot of hands-on work or you're not in the gym with them a, a whole a whole lot you know it, it's still a difficult environment to be in but from a, it is a lifetime dream for me you know i, I suppose when i got into physio uh, and i was at university i thought my dream would be to be working with throne on, on the all Ireland final day and that's all i ever thought about running on, on a pro park but I was able to do that with, with the minors I suppose I'd love to do it again you know with at any with any throne team but yeah. having worked at the sports institute for eight, eight years and working with those high performance athletes and seeing them go off to major games it then becomes your your new goal is to go with them and support them at, at the biggest event in the world and I was really lucky to be able to, to do that uh, it does take a lot, lot of hard work and time away from home I've probably been away from home about 250 days over the last two and a bit years. Yeah. Uh, uh, probably 10 plus trips away a year. Like and I said, I was in Mexico last week and everybody here in the gym and, and the clinic think I just swung off on holiday for a week but you are actually working. You might work in some of the most glamorous exotic places in the world but it's it's, it's still working. You're still away from your family and oh, your yeah. friends yeah. and you miss out on a lot of stuff at home so it, it It's difficult, and it's not for everybody. uh, But like I have, suppose my view is you have to enjoy the journey, and I I massively enjoyed the work that I put in to get to the Olympics. And when I was there, I, from a
0: personal point of view, I I did really enjoy being there. Yeah, no, it's fantastic, and you have to be top of your game to do it. And uh, the days of being politically friends with such and such person and going is probably gone to a certain extent. Um, you just have to be top of your game. There's no no room for bluffing anymore. And you have to be doing things consistently well for years and do all the academic stuff. So it's it to be much easier working in a bank, Marty, wouldn't it? It <laughs> <laughs> would. Yeah. Edward. Uh, getting uh, emails off people who work in banks now. So let's go into um, your private practice. And it's sort of like a, a little bit like Functional Training Ireland was, I suppose. You have a training... Wing of the business, and your physio business is in there. Can you just go into uh, what what way that's set up for us? Yeah, so
1: uh, I myself and my wife had a small practice in in the town centre in Cookstown uh, for the last five or six years, and about two years ago we decided we want we wanted to move and expand, and we were suppose looking around for for the local trainers and local coaches because it made sense to us to have a big training space yeah. and to share the cost of that with uh with another coach. Uh so we met Jared Irvin here who co owns a facility with us and, and uh we got talking and, and you know his philosophy fitted in with well with our philosophy and we hit it, really hit it off and we decided to do it. Uh so about two years ago now we decided we would we would jump jump in both feet and do it and we opened just over 18 months ago so we have we moved the the old physio practice to here we moved into a basically a a massive warehouse and we built uh we built the whole facility within that warehouse uh so there was nothing there only a big empty dirty warehouse and we had to clean the whole place down and and, and build it. it took us about four months so we now have a physio clinic here with three treatment rooms, uh, we have four physios working for us, we have a sports med consultant due to start with us next month, and then on the training side of things, the whole place is probably about 7,500 square feet, probably another 2,500 that we haven't developed, but 7,500 is kind of big enough for us at the
0: minute. <laughs> yeah. We
1: have a business development manager, Richie Donnelly, one of the, the Tyrone players who. Uh, he's good, good face, good uh, for the, for the business. Yeah. And then we have Jared, the co-owner and head trainer. Uh. And then we've got Garth who's our head of S and C, and we've a couple of other uh, trainers as, as well. So things are going well. A lot of hard graft for the first year. Yeah. Uh, a a lot of hustling, but hopefully things are just about to, to take off for us. We hope we've a lot of plans in place for the next few months.
0: Yeah. And. Uh... That's that's. I didn't realise it was that big. I thought it was in and around four thousand or three thousand square so seven and a half and you have a bit of room for more which is great because it lets you do do you do like group classes and things like that on the fitness end of it?
1: Yeah, yeah. So we have your typical team training classes uh, one or two of those per day. Uh, the majority of our business is, is semi, semi-private coaching. Yeah. Uh, there's a few uh, one-to-ones still here. Uh, you know, it's kind of Tier training Tom Plummer model uh, but also heavily influenced by Jean-Claude over at W10 and uh, we have a a yoga and platys studio uh, and you know we have a large uh, typical black box uh, kitted out facility so we have a large conditioning and and, uh, movement prep area where we do our rehab and and our moving prep and conditioning work and then down down at the bottom we have our our strength area where we do our strength and power stuff so you know that that's kind of where where we are we you know we we're able to hopefully cater for for the general public right through to your high end and thankfully a lot of teams have used us last year for whether it be fitness test and you know gym performance test and you know, Tarone come down and, and use the place. You know, f- to do to do their gym test, and then a few other local clubs come in, right? And, and we have a few other ones who come for group s and one to one S&C So we have a broad broad spectrum of spreading ourselves too thinly.
0: Fantastic. And um, is there much competition in the area for service like that, or are you just kind of motoring at the moment and getting all the word of out referrals? Yeah, we're-
1: there's a lot of good good facilities and good guys in, in, in Cookstown uh, most of it's personal training uh, mostly one to ones and your your large team training sessions there's nobody else doing semi-private the way we are uh, there's nobody else in this area at all that's, that's doing S&C well not the S&C that, that we know but uh, that's one of the bugbears we'll probably get on to that later <laughs> but uh and there's, there's another, you know, there's a large leisure centre commercial gym, but no, yeah. there's no other facility like what, what we have, you know, there's other yeah. good guys out there doing good stuff, but there's nothing quite just like how, what, what, what we're doing.
0: Sounds fantastic, and, uh, I promise to go up and uh, throw a few weights around someday, so you'll have to hold my hand. <laughs> just ignore <laughs> my T-spine and hips when I train, okay? <laughs> <laughs> okay, very good. So, um, that's fantastic, and we'll put up links to you know all that stuff because I think people should really see the facility. It's really top, top class. Um, you've mentioned to me that you're rolling out a long-term athlete development program. Um, do you want to just briefly speak on that in regards to your gym up there, the performance lab, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so
1: long-term athlete development. Is is that's that's my passion. That, that that's what I want to do. That that's why I've left CNA and, and focused at home. I really want to develop long term athletic development pathways in all sports, but primarily, you know, my sport, J. Um, how I get into that was, you know, you're dealing with players at eighteen, twenty one with long term chronic injuries, and you, you know, you have to. In my view, you have to go right back to where they start and build them properly. And if you do that, then these guys don't break down the way they're breaking down at 18 to 21. So whenever I was working with Tyrone and I was getting these guys through you know, at 18, 19, 20, you know, with chronic injuries, I was saying, look, we've missed the boat here. We need to start back at 13, 14 year, years of age, get yeah. these guys training properly, and then work our way back up. And then the next batch of athletes we get through won't have these chronic injuries. So that, that's why really how I get into the fitness side of the industry uh, or the S&C side. And, and that's, that's that's what I uh, would like to really develop. So at the minute, I am in charge of the athletic development for Triathlon Ireland. Uh, so over the last year, we are doing some physical competency testing with their young high-performance athletes and, and developing pathways and programs for them, working with uh, Lynn Algar in, in the UL and, and, and Michael Black up in Ladder Kenny and it's still in its very early stages, but it's some exciting stuff there. We worked with Swim Ulster last year, doing similar stuff with similar testing, work with their young coaches, and doing workshops Sorry, with their young athletes, and we also done some uh, workshops for their for their coaches. But what we're rolling out this week is we want to do some coach development work with with GA clubs, and. Um, our aim is we want to we want to get involved with the club and work with them over three years and, and and do workshops for the club test their young players put programs in place put physical curriculum uh programs in place teach the coaches how to coach it and then go and do site visits with the coach coaches out at at their club and making sure it's been uh, coached appropriately so then we can walk away after three years and, and that club is is self-sufficient in, in, in you know, strength training for, for their young athletes. Mm-hmm. You know that, that That's our aim. You know, it, it probably only will suit the big clubs. It, you know, it's a big undertaking. There's obviously an expense with that. Mm-hmm. But I think it's something exciting. I don't think it's happening anywhere else. And I think it's really badly needed. Like, I don't know if you'd seen it, but I, I, I pushed out a, a survey monkey questionnaire last week.
0: Yeah, I filled it out.
1: <laughs> thankfully, a few people have, have retweeted it and stuff. And I, I've had feedback from over 400 GA coaches. And, uh, wow. some of the you know the majority of coaches have been training five, ten years plus and ninety three percent of them said they'd want further education in L T A D. You know, so you know that that's the, the the market that we want to help. Yeah. Phase two of this will hopefully be a, an online uh, coaching platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, for for coaches from smaller clubs who can go and do this themselves uh, or or whose club isn't going to buy into this but they want to do it themselves so first of all we're going to target a few big clubs get our name out there, show that we can do this and do it well Mm -hmm. and then target the individual coaches afterwards
0: Sounds fantastic and it sounds like something county boards should do but you've kind of pushed it uh, and you've just gone about doing it yourself so that's brilliant and I yeah. know you'll have the expertise. And you just have your name built up now as well, so it should get tremendous buy-in. So it only takes one team to be adopting this and wax lyrical about it, and then hopefully it rolls and snowballs for you, you know?
1: Hopefully. I mean, if any county boards or uh, crew park want to come in and buy it off you welcome. But uh, we, we want to target the clubs ourselves, because you can hang around and, and wait for county boards and provincial councils to do this do this forever Yeah. you know and it doesn't happen so we're going to go with it and see, where, see where it takes us and you know we're excited by it because we're all really driven by this and, and you know uh, hopefully hopefully it works out and hopefully a few clubs benefit from it
0: yeah and I've spoke about this before I think we always moan about the GAA and coaches the way they are but we have to accept that we haven't also done a good enough job educating them as a as a uh, industry we're too busy infighting probably and we're too busy making things complicated um, and yeah, that, true. you know, it's probably very confusing and very sort of off putting, you know, so we need to do a better job of that. So anyway, that's for a different day's work. So we'll wrap, we'll get the home, home straight here now, Marty. So, um, we'll go into some stuff that, you know, a little bit of fun stuff, I suppose at, at the end. So, uh, any regrets or mistakes in your career? Just give us one, maybe you could fix. And please don't say there's no such thing as regrets and learning, <laughs> <laughs> which is true. But I just don't want to hear that.
1: I suppose the the, uh, the main the main one for me is not been able to say no over the last few years. There's been a few jobs where I, I've stayed probably a, a year more than I should have, and I had too many other things going on. Like the, the last year, I've been the lead physio for in Ireland, the lead f- Sigerson physio at Jordan's. Tried. I looked after the, their sports academy. Yeah, busy with, busy with signage, trying to own and run a gym and trying to own and run and practice in, a, in my own physio practice so just taking on too much work and spreading myself too thin and not being able to say no and I think being able to say no is a skill that, that, that people need, need to learn and it's a difficult one at times uh, but I think that probably I haven't given my best to some of the roles that I've taken on over the years because I've should
0: have said no and I didn't say no that's a great one and I spoke about that in the past and it's I don't think you can say no when you're starting off I think when you get like you know uh, anything when you're really starting off I think you should say yes to everything but there comes a point where you can't go on a holiday you can't even train or eat properly or do anything like that then that skill set of saying no to things (laughs) needs to start coming in thick and fast but you only learn that through experience so that's a great one um, I always tell people all the time: if not, you know, get uh, a piece of paper and work out. Is it financially viable for you to do that? And if it isn't, don't do it. You know, and it's. Um, yeah. You, but you only learn that. That's great. Give us um, two books that you love. Ooh, there's
1: two. <laughs> uh, you can give us I more. The, uh, one of my favorite books? Is the the Energy Bus? I don't know if you've come across that
0: Energy Bus
1: so I had never heard of it, I got off a flight from, from Tokyo last year, I was in Heathrow, picked it up and by the time I'd flown to Dublin, I got the bus from Dublin to Cookstown, so space was four hours, I'd read it from cover to cover and just inhaled it, It was it's, it's 10 Rules to Live Your Life By, it's a parody, really, really good, really good book um, really? And, and it's just a general book for anybody can read, you know, to, 10 Rules to, to Live Your Life By and it's it, really uh, definitely recommend it and I I haven't seen many people speak about it so it's maybe a new one for a few people but the other one the other book really is I think Start With Why by Simon Sinek you know maybe people are sick hearing about that book but I I just over the last 12-18 months just lived my life by that you know it just everything Thinking, acting, communicating—all based on on what your your why is in life and 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 why you do things rather than how you're, or or what you do. So, you know that's you know, that's what I'm I'm trying to. These guys in the gym here are probably sick hearing me talk about start start with why, but unless you know what your your why is, you're 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 not going to go anywhere at all.
0: Fantastic, brilliant. And um, what would you change in the morning about our industry? be it physio or S&C we'll let you pick either or both (laughs) Uh,
1: I see a massive difference between S&C and physio in terms of two things I think the first of all uh, having a protected title and a standard for for a strength and conditioning coach I know that's really difficult I know the issues around it in terms of the uh, HCPC and how much that costs and insurance, but I just think it's it's just needed. Like that survey I did last week, and I asked the question: Are you are you comfortable? Are you confident that you know what qualifications somebody needs to be to come into your club and carry out strength training for your young players? And the vast majority of, of skills coaches said no, they're not. So they don't even know what makes a good coach, what makes a qualified coach, and what doesn't. So that that that's really you know, I think that has to change, and, and I don't know how we go about that, but we need to start working towards that, and, and that needs to come in soon. The other big difference, I think, between the fitness industry and the physio world, I think, really, is is the bitchiness that goes on. I'm yeah. sure there are physios that, that bitch about other physios and, and complain, and, yeah. and we, we've all had, a wee, and all had a wee bitch in our time, but... It's it's sometimes it's really embarrassing. Sometimes when you go on Facebook and you yeah. see gyms going at each other and trainers going at each other, and it's just embarrassing. Like, and, and we should be better than that, you know. So yeah. those are the two things that I would change is is the bitchiness of it all, and having a clear pathway of you know what is the standard for a strength and conditioning yeah. coach and protecting that title because our, our head of essence here Gareth he wrote a blog recently about. Just giving off about strength conditioning classes, like how you know having a strength conditioning class for the general population and calling it strength conditioning, you know you you know you're not doing any screening, you're not doing any needs needs analysis, it's not sport specific, you know you know you're doing resistance training and you're doing metabolic conditioning, but it's not S&C, so that, you know that's a wee bit of my bugbear as as, as well.
0: Yeah. So, well, uh, I I read a tweet there. I can't remember who wrote the tweet, but he basically said. Wouldn't it be great in S&C if we spoke to each other like musicians and chefs did? Like, you know, the reverence the top chefs have for other chefs and and, and music musicians. You see, like, you know, when a musician's coming near retirement, all the best musicians in the world turn up to his his gig and all. It's just fantastic. Whereas in our industry, you know, you'll hear the word he's a bluffer about a million times in our gig, won't you? And it's kind of well, sad. Well,
1: the, the really good guys don't do it. Yeah. I think that's my experience you know when, and when we met up before you know be at Meg Boyle or, or Calvin Jays or whoever we've had over and you get the really best guys in the country together they don't have a bad word to say about each other you know and, yeah. and if, you have, if you're if dealing with a coach who's bitching about other coaches then you know that probably tells you a lot about about that coach
0: it does and it's something uh, the standardisation of S&C or a protected term I think needs to happen Um. In the in I don't know how it could start or I don't know who will take the bull by the horns, but it it'll you'll wake up one morning and then realise you'll probably need X Y and Z certs, and um, it's interesting because like I've worked at God knows how many Gaelic teams and I've never been asked for insurance or uh, my qualifications once, <laughs> and I mean it, that's probably not good either, you know so it's uh, interesting but I think it will change but it's got might take 50 years or something you know yeah probably <laughs> Watch it. yeah we'll, I'll, I'll only, we'll only be hitting our stride then <laughs> <laughs> right so uh, Marty we'll let you uh, go but just to remind all the listeners that on Saturday 8th of October Ed Slattery has set up a tremendous event with Paul Bunce our good friend Martin Kennedy, Neil Welsh, and Marion Earls, sort of the best of the Irish S&C community, giving a talk there in Ballsbridge Hotel that's Saturday at 8. And the EFN are sponsoring it. So it should be a great event. I'll be there um, and can't wait for that. So, Marty, thanks very much. We're going to put up all the links and everything to that. Fascinating stuff. And um, the level of professionalism there you show in terms of the screening and all that is fantastic and your expertise is second So thanks for coming on to the uh, EFN podcast.
1: Thank you, David.
0: Take care.